morning. I'm Dave Crouch. This is Policy Talks. And uh, welcome to the live audience here at Columbia State this morning that we have. Uh, our show brought to you each month by Williamson Inc., our Chamber of Commerce here at Williamson County. We uh, appreciate the uh, hospitality that Columbia State shows us every month and uh, brings us here. And, uh, and appreciate the Lions Leadership Group for uh, supplying our coffee. And uh, bringing it over here and uh, giving us a, uh, a way to meet and greet for a, a while before we go on the air every morning. Just uh, want to thank uh, Creed for uh, his uh, bringing the TV audience here from Channel 3, our uh, WCTV station. And thank uh, Tom Walsh for uh, bringing it over the air with uh, WAKM uh, AM 950. And I think we've got a YouTube audience out there as well. Uh, that is being live streamed to. So we're, you could be anywhere and uh, see us this morning. We uh, have a special program today. Our uh, uh, guest is uh, Jason Golden, the superintendent of the Williamson County Schools. Uh, Dr. David Snowden was scheduled to be with us, uh, but he is under the weather this morning, so to speak. And uh, <laughs> he uh, is not feeling well, and uh, so we're going to lean on Robert Blair, the chairman of the school board, and uh, uh, Sheila Cleveland, who's, well, excuse me, Sheila, you're not FSSD, you're County. Getting mixed up already, but uh, we'll uh, get Robert to uh, uh, tell us a little bit about what's going on with the FSSD. We're, uh, this is kind of a follow-up to the uh, state of the schools address that uh, our superintendents gave at uh, the chamber meeting uh, last week, uh, Thursday, I believe. And uh, it was a celebration of a lot of uh, accomplishments that have been uh, uh, recognized over the last uh, few weeks uh, for the FSSD as well as our county schools. Uh, but uh, Dr. Snowden was named the Superintendent of the Year by his peers at the Superintendents Association recently. Now, uh, do you think that was deserved, bro? Oh, absolutely. Maybe it He had been nominated for the regional superintendent, and then when they go to Gatlinburg for what's called the Toss Conference, which is the state superintendent, then he was uh, elected uh, superintendent of the year. So we're, we're absolutely very proud of him. Well-deserved, uh, because he's been in that role for over 20 years, and, and uh, he continues to do an amazing job. And I think we all know the story of whenever he gets his bonus every year. Uh, I think the last 20 years, he's given that bonus back to the district. Uh, and so that's just one of the things that he does that we're so proud of, just, just what he does to keep the district on track and uh, the things. They're innovative, but yet he's grounded and rooted in making sure that we're educating children, and that's our first priority. Now, he uh, highlighted some of the TCAP results at the address last week that uh, uh, all of them were impressive, but a couple of them stood out to me. Uh, just because Algebra 1 and Geometry were uh, probably, when I was in high school, not my best subject. But uh, the... Uh, ELA, the math, the science, the social studies were all way above state uh, state T, TCAP scores. But the algebra one, uh, 
think y'all had 84.3% proficiency compared to the state's 23.2% statewide. Geometry at 92.9% for FSSD compared to the state's 286 uh, That, that uh, speaks well for your math teachers. <laughs> and, and I like you didn't understand them because I was not eligible in geometry. So, <laughs> so, so somebody had to break it down for me. But, but yeah, we're consistently, uh, as well as our counterpart, Wilson County, uh, you know, we're consistently improving those and we're consistently performing above state levels. And that's what we try to do. I mean, we're, we're very, we're, our emphasis is on those things as well as, you know, we're known for trying to educate the whole child as well. That's why we've continued to go with arts and music and physical education because we think those things make a child well-rounded. And so we continue to push those things. and. And Dr. David Snowden leads us in doing that. So when you see those scores, it's because of, as he says, because we work with our teachers, we work with our administrators, we work with the people in there, and we work with our parents in the community. So it is a collaborative effort, but he is the leader of that effort. The, uh, uh, one of the things he focused on uh, for a while, along with uh, our Sheriff Dusty Rhodes that was also at the meeting, is safety and security. Uh, making sure the kids are safe, the teachers are safe. Uh, obviously, that's been a, a huge focus here in Middle Tennessee after some of the events last year. So, what, uh, is anything there that you want to highlight uh, about what y'all are doing there with uh, safety and security for the schools? Well, as, as always, we continue to look at how we can better serve our students. If you're not in a safe environment, you're not going to learn, and parents are not going to be comfortable sending their kids somewhere that they don't think their kids feel safe. So the parent has to feel safe as well as the kid. And so we, we put a lot of emphasis on that. And as you said, we work with the Sheriff's Department. Uh, they've been so great. Uh, County Mayor Rogers Anderson and Sheriff Dusty Rhodes in providing us with SROs. So, um, but if you're in the school, we also empower the custodians. We empower the teachers and administrators so that they look out for things that may be happening. So, you know, uh, but that is one of the things that we're focused on. Selby Glass, who, who uh, handles that for us, does an amazing job. She works with the county. Uh, she actually has an office at the county building. And so it's just amazing what she does and what we do together. And again, these are collaborative efforts that uh, allow us to be able to be successful. And sometimes you have to tell parents that some things we just can't tell you. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, something we just can't tell you, but but know that we are working for the safety of the kids. We want a safe environment, and and I think he talked about the threat assessments. We take those very seriously, uh, and we've uh, you know got to put some policies in place to say that we're just not going to tolerate people thinking it's a game or just you know making these false threats, and uh, it's just not being tolerated. And so we're we're very serious about that because again. We do want a safe environment, and I think that goes for everybody who works in the building, especially for the kids, because a safe environment is a, it promotes a better learning environment. Absolutely. And uh, last but maybe not least, uh, Dr. Snowden, and uh, I'm sure Jason will uh, address this as well, but uh, you're instituting a new program on aviation that, uh, uh, I heard this right, 
And I listened to the speech three times okay? uh, <laughs> to make sure I was trying to get these details right. But uh, the Papa uh, uh, Road and Freedom Middle both received uh, 500000 each for an aviation intro program that uh, will lead into a program with the Williams County Schools and then on MTSU and their aviation program. Any detail there you can share with us? Uh, not really any detail except for what Dr. Snowden mentioned at the meeting. I think uh, Dr. Goldman and uh, Jerry Qualls, uh, I think they can give you more information about that, but we were excited to receive the grants. We're excited about this program, I mean, aviation. Uh, you know, we think we're in an area with, you know, the expansion of VA and with MTSU and, and, you know, so we think it's a great opportunity that kids take advantage of. I know our kids are excited about it and we look forward to that program, you know, unfolding and, and just being part of what FSD and WCS does together. Great. Robert, we appreciate you standing in for uh, Dr. Snowden uh, and uh, Governor Missy and uh, if he can come back uh, next month, they can fill in the gaps. So we're going to do the, the same thing again. Okay. Take care. That, uh, that was a, an excellent uh, intro into uh, the students that come from SS, FSSD to uh, the county school system, Jason. Uh, you've been with the county school system now how long? Uh, in my 18th year, so somewhere between 17 and 18, I haven't counted in months. And for many years, what role did you play? Uh, I, I was the deputy superintendent for about 10 of those years. I, I was the chief operating officer, COO, prior to that. I was even the lawyer prior to that. So, so a lot of different uh, responsibilities over time. We, we have an unbelievable team. We have a lot of people, uh, and our leadership team is, is pretty incredible. It, uh, your, uh, your presentation the other day was pretty incredible, too. Uh, the, uh, the award that the uh, district just received, uh, top performing school district, State. Yeah, we actually did the math on that. The state's not yet given out their awards. They, they, in fact, they don't give awards to districts as a whole. They do to individual schools. Uh, we, we did the math uh, on math, math tests and, and English tests, etc. The state had tests grades three through eight, and they also test particular high school courses, uh, particular state-emphasized high school courses. Uh, and so TCAP is the state three through eight testing and they test those four common special especially important subjects uh, English language arts math science and social studies and uh, overall uh, we we were number one across the state now if you, what we do actually is drill down to individual class at classes uh, you know grades three grade five whatever the grade is within each subject we drill down to individual teachers, and then we drill down into individual students. And I'm convinced that the reason we continue to perform at or near the top is because of that last comment I made, drilling down to individual students and their performance. In the last few years, our teachers have spent a lot of time with each other talking about how their students are doing on, on mastering particular standards of the, of the state. Now, I'm not talking about preparing for the test. I'm talking about making sure our students understand the content they need to move to the next level. 
whether it's third grade or finishing high school, to prepare them for, for where they're headed uh, at the next step. So at the elementary level especially, we all know reading is important. You have to be able to read. Reading and math are some key focus points of the, of the state. Of course, social studies and, and science are part of that. Our teachers are, are carving out time to do what we call common formative assessments. In other words, small little tests for students that aren't graded, aren't included in the grade book, they're formative, meaning they're not summative. That we want to identify, have the students understood the material that they just went through. And if we identify that a student hasn't mastered those standards, the teachers as a team get together and they'll adjust the pacing of the course to make sure that those students do master those key standards that are so important for them to move on. And there, there's, if you think back to those years, the little bits and pieces you've learned about education over time, you hear stories about students falling behind, students who might, who might miss, miss something, uh, not do well in a particular grade, and the class keeps on moving on. And suddenly those students get farther and farther behind. When our teachers have the time to do that, it increases the numbers and likelihood of those students grasping those standards so that they don't keep on falling far, far behind. So over the decades, you know, back 30, 40 years ago, when you would hear all those stories of students who can't read, our teachers at those youngest grade levels are making sure that every student has that capacity and, and, and can grow along with their peers. So that's just one key point as to why we have that growth, uh, why we continue to grow our students. So yeah, we do celebrate that. We celebrate so often that we're at or near the very top. Uh, in the state. And I tell you, those times when we find a peer of ours who might, do, who might be number one in, you know, say, say uh, fifth grade science, we celebrate that. Uh, we work really well with our peers across the state. And I know you just spoke earlier with Robert Blair about Dr. Snowden being named the state superintendent of the year. We know that that proverb about a rising tide raising all boats is true. That when others do well, it helps us. When we do well, we have that responsibility to share with others what we're doing so that we can support each other. We've got a great team with FSSP. Sounds like you're, uh, I almost want you to go over the <coughs> process that you use to uh, identify what the kid needs to, uh, to uh, understand better. But uh, uh, in my industry, the, the rage right now is artificial intelligence. Is that something that uh, y'all are using or exploring as a tool to help the teachers do a better job? We are at the early stages of identifying artificial intelligence uh, um, supports that we can have. And it's interesting, we've been at the research level. I'll give you one anecdote uh, that, 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 that we've seen. We, we, we have an international baccalaureate program at Franklin High School. And then we have a lot of AP courses that our students take, thousands of AP courses. And they're kind of different tracks. We know that those national organizations for those, those two separate tracks have identified uh, issues with artificial intelligence and are at the moment talking about completely different tracks. One of the two is saying, we, we haven't identified yet um, the impact of artificial intelligence in making sure that our students learn and can identify what they need to learn. And another one is saying, hey, let's dive in 
all the way with artificial intelligence. So we're, we know that those organizations that actually open doors for our students are going through that. So we're having conversations with those groups trying to identify that. And I'll tell you, we're not, we're not, a, we're not a PhD engineering school, you know, where, they're, where, they're, where they're, they're doing that kind of research on it. Um, but our teachers are having conversations with our students. There are times where a teacher says, feel free to you know, add that to, to, uh, to, to your work. But there are other times, for example, if students write in an essay about personal experiences, it's quite obvious if they use artificial intelligence with, without sharing that uh, the personal detail, that perhaps they didn't write it. Uh, so we are really going through that balancing standard. I think that's another one of our challenges for the future. Those tools are there. 30 years ago, there was talk about little computers, right? Right, little, little the internet. And, and, and it's a constant tool for us now. We can't get along without it. We know that's where we're headed with these technological things. Interesting stuff. Uh, one of the things that you uh, seem to be quite proud of is uh, Brentwood Middle's recent uh, designation as a Blue Ribbon School. Uh, tell the story about your, uh, this is a little different audience than we had last week. Uh, tell your story about uh, your high school. Well, we, so right as of this year, we now have 16 National Blue Ribbon Awards for our schools. Brentwood Middle was just named this year. Uh, it's actually their third. Clovercroft Elementary has actually had two awards. And it's, it's something that is, it's, it is the highest possible award for a school, for an individual school to get. The state nominates, and then there's a federal process, the U.S. Department of Education gives those awards. They, and, and the story I tell, and Carol Birdsong, our communications director, I think I said something like, Carol Birdsong rolls her eyes every time I tell the story. Uh, but I graduated high school in Metro Atlanta uh, in the 80s. And my senior year, my high school was named a National Blue Ribbon School. And a few years ago, I was, I was driving with my son, visited my mom, and then I drove past my old high school. And that was still up on the exterior of the school, the 1985 National Blue Ribbon School. Uh, it's something that you celebrate forever. It is, if you get that award once, that is a big deal. Uh, with, with the detail, the competition that you have with other with other schools. And so when I talk about 16 national blue ribbon schools for Williamson County schools, it is incredible what our teachers and students are doing. Good deal. Good deal. Um, scholarships, national merit semifinalists, uh, record numbers, uh, seems like year after year after year. Uh, 49 so far this year, 64 last year uh, by the end of the year. Uh, AP exams, um, lots of opportunities for kids to save their parents' money uh, <laughs> with scholarships in college. Uh, the, uh, you, you had some numbers about AP exams, uh, and I'm challenging you this morning to uh, add to that the, uh, the numbers for dual enrollment, but uh, tell us a little bit about that. Well, so, uh, this past year, we had 64 students score perfect ACT composites. And by the way, I just dropped my notes on the floor, so we'll see how, how, much, uh, how much I know and how much I'll get. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Uh, last year, we had 64. This year, so far, we have 49, and we're, in, we're, in, we're not even in October yet. 
So we're looking forward to what our class of 2024 is going to do with that. We have, for, in the last few years, been breaking records in, in that category. Uh, National Merit Scholars. Uh, which is based on the PSAT. I actually um, looked. I looked back at what I spoke to at the uh, at the at the state of the schools. I actually made a made a terminology mistake. That's actually uh, the 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 organization that that administers SAT and PSAT that names those national merit award winners. Last year we had 78 national merit finalists. This year they haven't mentioned they haven't named the finalists yet, but we have 81 semifinalists. Uh, almost every semi-finalist becomes a finalist. So last year we had 78 semis, all of them became finalists. There's actually a GPA component to it that differentiates between semi-finalists and finalists. So we've, we've broken that record uh, by three students for, for national merit. Uh, I would have to look at my notes for the exact numbers of AP exams, but over 8,000 students passed an AP course. Uh, well, let me make sure. 80, I, 8393, I believe. 8393, thank you very much. 8393 AP courses last year, students scored a three or better. And every, every college is a little bit different. For many, many colleges, that means you get that credit for that course. So that's what you're talking about when you talk about, it's not just the scholarships. We had about $102 million last year of scholarships accepted. We used to brag about scholarships offered. And, but then we recognized it doesn't matter if you get an offer if you don't accept the scholarship. So we actually have on our website, WCS by the numbers, uh, the, the tracking of that. Another peculiarity of that is if you choose a state school, your scholarship numbers might be lower, but the net could be better. Because if you get a full ride, all tuition and uh, expenses, it, 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 that's what really matters, right? It's that gap in what a parent actually has to pay out of pocket. So we're proud of that. You talked about Columbia State. We have 612 students right now, 612 high school students who are taking a course at Columbia State. 612 who are taking a course at Columbia State. The state of Tennessee has a program for scholarships related to that. So, so our students apply for those scholarships uh, so that they can take and achieve actual credit, college credit while they're in high school. So the numbers there are, are pretty amazing. You know, we talk about those 81 students who got the National Merit Scholars. They're going to probably have their choice of any school they want. For the vast majority of their schools, it's going to cover the vast majority of their expenses. Well, when you talk about 612 students taking college courses, getting a leg up on where they are, that starts changing generations with, with those numbers. So we're very proud of that work. We're very proud of those AP numbers, the, the 8,600 and change or whatever that, 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 uh, that I gave that you gave me back because my <laughs> notes are sitting here on the floor. 83, 83, thank you. Uh, and, and we had a little over 4,000 students get those 8,300 and change AP threes or better which means that on average, our students who are taking those courses are, are passing about two or so AP classes. Um, so we did a little numbers, we tossed out, um, and I looked at Dr. Oldham from, from Tennessee Tech, who was in the audience when I did the State of the Schools. Uh, let's say conservatively a credit hour at a state school is $390. You multiply that times, times the numbers, we're talking about $9 million or so worth of college education 
just this past year for students that actually technically doesn't even show up in our scholarship dollars. So the 500 million that we spend in Williamson County on schools, we're getting 9 million plus, uh, what was the other number for scholarships? 102, 102 million. Uh, 102 million? Yes, 102 million. Uh, that's a pretty good return on investment, best, best I can calculate. Well, and it's, and it's funny, we don't, we don't think in terms of, of money return on investment because what we're doing is something over the course of a lifetime uh, for our students. It's not just a quality of life, but it's the future of the United States. But if you look at the numbers, it is amazing. Right, because we as a community, and we've, we've done this in the United States, and I think we do it better in the US than any other country, because we open up those doors in such a way that's rare across the world, uh, that we do invest in ourselves, we invest in our children, and we can see those, those, those numbers, those raw numbers for us. I'm so proud of that, but I'm so proud of how our students turn, turn out the, the doors that we open for them so that they do have those choices in this country. The, uh, as you know, I'm a big proponent of the uh, dual enrollment because if you're lucky, you know, a family has a brainiac in the, in the crew. Uh, out of three, we had one. And, uh, <laughs> one had, out of three, that's not a bad ratio. Had, had the, the high ACT score and, and so, so on and so forth. But the other two were more average like me. And uh, the dual enrollment saved them uh, a lot of, um, let me say this kindly. Uh, there's not a kind way to say it. I was not an English student uh, in high school particularly, but I got my, or they got their college credit, uh, English comp and, and American lit and, and English lit done in high school. So they didn't have to take it again once they got to college. And, uh, so their freshman year in college was uh, more uh, attuned to a, a male student uh, that uh, wanted to move on and study construction management or something. So um, it's a great program. And uh, in addition to saving money, it, uh, it, it moves kids along past things that uh, they want to get done. Well, you really hit on a, a core part of what we do. We're the public school system. Mm -hmm. We are serving over 42,000 students in our county alone, including Franklin Special, which is a pre-K through eight program, uh, it's a public school program that, whose students come to our high schools. The scope of what we're doing in numbers and the impact that we have on the community as a whole in the aggregate is, is, is key. Uh, you talked about the average. We all know, those of you in business, you know hard workers get the work done, right? And, and you, you, you do need to learn, you do need to know how to do it, but you also need to know that I need to work. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that's, what, that's what the whole scope of our, of our student body is learning. Because we do have those high expectations, because we know that all students can learn at a high level, that it increases that capacity for students. And our hope is that when they leave us, not only are some doors open, but they also realize, hey, I'm going to have to work uh, to, to be productive. Um, we found our experience with Williams County Schools to be amazing. And uh, courses like Tim Sawyer's uh, engineering uh, prepped all three of our boys for, for things like that in college. Uh, 
I'm going to go ahead and brag about you. Uh, but uh, the uh, Jack, of course, had a lot of uh, AP courses and dual <coughs> enrollment hours. I think he had 55 college credit hours when he graduated from high school. Auburn accepted 53 of them. There you go. And uh, and he uh, he was strongly encouraged when he got to Auburn to start over with Calculus One, and he said, "I really don't want to do that." He'd already taken. I understand a, that a, AP Calculus and all this, and uh, he started out in Calculus Three at Auburn and aced it. So uh, he was extremely well prepared, and uh, just. Uh, I could tell many stories, but... Uh, well, you mentioned Tim Sawyer. Uh, he was a teacher at Centennial High School and taught uh, engineering, computer-aided design work, et cetera. Uh, uh, what I think of as, as, as math application in a, in, a, in a lot of ways. So I, I would like to segue to our college and career technical education program since you mentioned that. Yeah. You spoke with Robert Blair about aviation. In right. last year's state budget, the, uh, the governor asked and, and, and received from the legislature uh, a grant for every public school system in this way, a million dollars per high school and half a million per middle school on an, on an application process for us to present an innovative schools model in college and career technical education programs. In other words, the money was set aside, but we had to submit a grant application and explain to the state what we were going to do that was innovative. Uh, so our application included creating an innovation center, uh, really starting to follow the model of our entrepreneurship and innovation center that we did on our own with county support to take that next step in innovative college and career technical education programs. So we've got the grant, uh, it was approved by the state. We are building a facility uh, on Franklin High School's campus, and it will be a hub for innovative college and career technical education programs. And one thing that I think is neat, aviation is one of them uh, that, that we're working on. Uh, and we expect that it should open in 2026, right? You have to think longitudinally, y'all. You have to plan ahead. Uh, so aviation is one of those programs. We studied MTSU's college aviation program. But I want to also mention that we're looking at HVAC. Some of those traditional, actually y'all pretty well, pretty well paying careers that we got away from decades ago. Mm -hmm. Now we know that so much of our college and career technical education programs are driven by student interest. You mentioned your son with Tim Sawyer. Sometimes the force of personality of a teacher can drive a student to those really amazing programs that can open doors for their careers. And so we're gonna be recruiting uh, teachers for that as well because we know that's key. So we're excited about that. If I can find it, I'll, I'll try to find the letter on my phone that my youngest son wrote to, Dr. to uh, Tim Sawyer, uh, thanking him for the, uh, the education he got in his, uh, uh, in his program that so well prepared him for what he was uh, going to see in college. And uh, I, I tried to read it at a school board meeting and uh, my 90 seconds didn't quite uh, allow for all of it. So. Well, that's neat that the 90 seconds didn't quite allow for it. And you, uh, we do have public comment at our school board meetings uh, and we will hear the whole spectrum, right? Because we serve, we serve everyone in the county. 
We serve the whole spectrum of thought. And in this country, one neat thing about it is we have the First Amendment. And we do hear that whole scope of thought at our public schools. What I want the listeners here to know is that we're doing right by your child. We're doing right by your grandchild. We're making sure that they're prepared for the next level. We know that every imaginable political argument will be fought at our doorstep because what we're doing is important. And so we, we know and expect that. And y'all, there's nothing new under the sun when it comes to that. You think about, uh, you think about school systems over the course of US history. Uh, the Civil War disrupted schools. Schools shut down because of the war. The Civil Rights Movement in the 1960s, those issues were discussed in the public schools. Vietnam War, many, you know, you think about that. Uh, all, those, all those important US arguments are discussed at the front end, at the public, on the public level of schools. Throughout all that time, we make sure that we teach students those core standards that the state sets for us to make sure they know how to read, to make sure they know math, to make sure we continue to open those doors. Sorry, I know you really didn't touch on that when you spoke to public comment. But when I hear public comment, I think about the scope of, of community members coming because we do have an open venue for them to share. Wished I'd thought to look that letter up. It, it was, um, uh, he so appreciated what, what he learned uh, at Centennial under Mr. Sawyer. And if, if he had that many credits, he, he was just about a junior when he started college. He could have been. For some reason, it still took him four years. But. <laughs> He uh, he enjoyed Auburn too, so. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he could have he could have accelerated that a lot. But it gave him more options when he got to uh, got to college, and uh, it was uh, it was a real blessing uh, to all three of my boys. So. You've uh, mentioned uh, one of the one of the things you really spent a, a fair amount of time on are threats and how you deal with them. But you mentioned a new state law that uh, changes the whole equation. Uh, tell us what's going on there and what it means to the kids that play a joke. So the state of Tennessee, the legislature has added um, to our zero tolerance law. For decades, there, it is, it is, there has been a zero tolerance law that basically says if you bring illegal drugs into the school, if you bring a firearm, if you, if you assault uh, a, a, a staff member, then you are suspended for a year. Uh, and we actually have what we call the ALC, the Alternative Learning Center. The state actually requires us to have an alternative learning center for students who are on long-term suspensions. So I, may, so I think maybe my microphone's going in and out, but we've had that for decades. The legislature added threats to that zero tolerance law. And the definition is if you threaten to harm two or more people, they call it threats of mass destruction, and that's the definition, two or more, then you will be suspended for a year. Uh, and in a essence, year. for a year, 180 days, in hmm. uh, that just the same as illegal drugs, our board has actually included alcohol on that zero tolerance as well. If you bring alcohol to school, it's a, it's a one year zero tolerance. Uh, so that's a big change at the state level. It was quite apparent that the legislature in essence decided the threats have to stop at the school level. Now, the vast majority of threats 
in our experience, are jokes that have a significant impact. No matter what the underlying reason for the threat, we still have to investigate. Every single one gets investigated because we can't decide on the front end, oh, that was just somebody making a joke versus somebody really making a threat versus somebody who made a threat and didn't have the capacity to, to do it versus someone who made a threat and planned it and actually has the capacity. The whole gamut of threats de demands immediate response. And Robert Blair mentioned threat assessment teams. We have a threat assessment team uh, that includes sheriff's office detectives, city police are involved, uh, the, the district attorney's office, Franklin Special, us, our school administration, the juvenile court, our entire community that has a joint responsibility for keeping folks safe goes through the process of analyzing every threat. If someone makes a threat to harm a school, even on the weekend, we hear something from social media, they might get a knock and they have gotten knocks on their door at two o'clock in the morning on Sunday. Whenever the event happens, our entire team goes to work. The sheriff's office is key to that. Uh, and so the legislature got involved and said, you're out for a year. Now, I will tell you that that, that zero tolerance threat, the, the, the zero tolerance structure gives one person in each school district discretion to reduce, and that's me. It's the superintendents under the, leg under the legislation. We actually have programs in our ALC that have been working really well for years with our students who bring drugs to school or alcohol. It's a program to establish that, that, they have more, that they have developed more tools in their toolbox to work their way out of the ALC before the year expires. So we set them up on programming. We just don't dump them there and leave them there for a year. We make sure that they get their instruction and they, in essence, for lack of a better phrase, use an old country phrase, they start learning their lesson, right? It really is about lessons. It really is about self-discipline, not just us administering discipline because we are teaching those students. At this stage with this new threat protocol, the new law, we are still feeling our way through that. When the zero tolerance law passed 25 or 30 years ago, it, it triggered a big spike. And then folks started figuring it out and it started affecting decisions. And I believe that's where we are right now. We're in that time right now where students are, are having to start recognizing that this is more serious than you might've thought it was. And, and we're in that spike time right now. So one of the things I commented on, I think at the, uh, at the state of the schools, Parents whose children weren't the ones who make, they made the threats are generally relieved. Parents of students who did make the threats are shocked or flabbergasted that their child's out that long. So we are trying to get the word out. You will be suspended for that year if you make a threat to harm two or more people. That is um, going to surprise quite a few of you had to suspend any students so far this year? Oh yeah, we have. How many? Um, I'm not gonna share the exact number, uh, but I will tell you the, the threat investigations have increased. Students are becoming aware of it and, 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 and sometimes rumors start. Mm -hmm. Some of our investigations revealed nobody even actually made a threat. It was just a rumor that that circulated on individual cell phones. And the rumor became reality to them. 
we actually had a specific rumor about an active shooter on a campus that was cycling in one grade level at a middle school. A parent got the text from their child. The parent called it in. Our SRO was there. Our, our, our principal was there. They knew immediately it was a false rumor. But we deal with the scope of the discussion at, at the public level when those things happen. So we encourage folks, don't spread the rumor. When the moment you hear something, share it with your SRO, share it with your principal so that we can take action immediately to address it. Now that was the rumor. That's one side. Yep. The other side is we need to be prepared for those real threats. And so when I talked about we're going to investigate every single one, that's what I'm talking about. We can't just wash something in, uh, you know, off or just say, oh, well, that was just a rumor. Even that one triggered an investigation to get drilled down and identify what was the source of that. But And one thing you mentioned is that the SROs know why they're in the schools. Yeah. And I use the acronym SRO. I, we just assume everybody knows our acronyms. School Resource Officer. The Sheriff's Office has an officer in every one of our schools. We actually initiated that and finished that project about 10 years ago uh, because we recognized the need. Uh, and so we're ahead of a lot of our neighbors in Tennessee with making sure those people are there. Uh, we're not perfect with school security. It is a total community effort. It is an ongoing effort and it will always take work. And we, I know I worry about this. I know we'll never be perfect. But what I do know is there's no substitute for people. Right. And that sheriff's deputy in our building, in my opinion, is our number one, number one best layer of security. So I'm pleased they're there. They struggle with staffing as well. Sheriff will talk about that from time to time. Uh, it's, a, it's a hard job. I got to tell one story. Uh, I visited an elementary school last year and I, I, I checked in on the SRO. And one of the things he shared was, he said, he said, I tell my buddies in the Sheriff's Department, I got the best job in the Sheriff's Department. And then he noticeably changed his expression. He said, but I know why I'm here. And he's there to protect the children. Now he develops relationships. He's beloved there. And I'm speaking generally, not just about him, but they know why they're there. They train to go to the problem. Uh, the sheriff and their work uh, is, is, is incredible. We hope and pray that we never have that kind of problem, but you have to be prepared for it to, to act appropriately in the event it happens. Tough, tough subject. The, um, one of the challenges that you mentioned uh, you're having, of course, everyone's almost every business is having a problem finding enough staff to, uh, to do the work. Um, but you've um, gotten very close to the number of teachers you need this year for a couple of reasons. One, uh, enrollment leveled off this year, which uh, how long has it been since we haven't had a thousand or 2000 uh, kid increase in the school systems? Well, you know, I mentioned that I'm in my 18th year we have grown by about 17,000 students in 17 years. Uh, this year, we have flattened out. And, and I don't know all the reasons, right? Some research can probably nail that down, but I do know anecdotally a handful. One is uh, Mayor Rogers Anderson and the County Commission a few years ago thoughtfully started planning for slowing growth. 
Uh, in the rural areas, uh, they established a, a zoning structure that you could not build on anything less than five acres. And so some of the neighborhoods that were approved prior to that coming in have settled down their construction. So I think we're starting to feel that a little bit. Cities and counties are actually doing some planning for urban growth boundaries right now. Uh, the state law designates that there's a representative from the largest school system in the, in the county on that board. And so I'm sitting in on that board. So I'm very deeply aware of the work they're doing with urban growth boundaries. But also the cost of living's high here. The cost of housing has gone up. The interest rates have gone up. So I think it's a combination of all those things that we have flattened out this year. And I, Mayor Anderson was here, I think, with you at the at the policy talks with county government. He said something to the effect of uh, Williamson County is no longer the fastest growing county in the state, and he's glad to give up that designation, right? Because it has been a thoughtful it has been a thoughtful approach. So our numbers have flattened out. Uh, and that's a good thing. We actually benchmark ourselves against higher performing school districts in other metro areas across the country, uh, from Metro Phoenix to Metro Chicago to Metro Atlanta. And what we have seen for some of those higher performing school districts that are a little bit ahead of us on this, on this growth curve, they can continue and even excel even further with student performance when those numbers start flattening out. So we're looking, we're looking forward to that. Now, I will tell you, I don't know if this is a trend or not. It's just one year. Well, here's your curveball, Jason. Um, okay, growth flattens out. The schools get $10,000, I think, a house in impact fees from every new house that's built in the county. So are you going to have to adjust your budget for new schools uh, down if the growth slows? So you mentioned the, the impact fee. County government established an impact fee to offset the cost of building new, new schools, of, of construction. So that impact fee doesn't address how we actually serve our students. It, it addresses the facilities in which we serve them. So we do know from a five-year capital plan process, we, we budget and plan over, over a five-year window and we, we update that annually that we will adjust some of our construction planning for that. One interesting phenomenon that we've seen right now, at least in this snapshot, this year's snapshot, knowing that we don't know what the trends are yet, we're still having growth in some areas. In other areas, uh, folks aren't selling their homes and their children are graduating. And so we'll, we're still seeing growth in regions. I will tell you also, we've, we've, we saw growth in 10 of our 12 grade levels but our kindergarten class was substantially lower than last year's graduating high school class. And the growth at every grade level didn't totally offset the difference between the graduating seniors and the rising kindergartners. Um, so our middle grades are some of our largest grades. So that's another trend that we're looking at. The, um, uh, would love to spend more time on school bus drivers and things like that, but we're running out of time and I wanna cover couple of things that the state legislature is doing or has done that affect uh, our county school system. Well, one, the, the re, uh, this is a technical term, but the rejiggering of the, the, the budgeting process that they did last year. Uh, how did that affect your budgets? And, uh, and is that 
get, getting you more money to, to do your job. So the state changed their model from uh, identifying the needs in every school, like a certain amount for every principal, a certain amount for every library, a certain amount for the, for the, per, per, for the per pupil, teacher numbers that you had, to giving us a certain amount of money for every student and based on individual student needs. So that's, that, that was a substantial model shift from school driven to individual student driven. Uh, and, and when they made that shift, they also included this discussion that, uh, and I heard this from a number of elected officials and appointed officials at the state level, we know we can't get this model set up unless we add funding to the state mm -hmm. funding for schools. And they actually did it. Uh, we actually increased our net funding uh, in Williamson County Schools based on their changing the model. Uh, so, so this year, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm going to estimate we got somewhere around $6 million more this past year from the state than we, than we did in previous years. And we put that to, to, to our teachers. Uh, we know that our teachers' income is, is still struggling to have a livable professional wage for these professionals. So we put that money in uh, to our teachers. Uh, and, and so as, as numbers go up as numbers go down as what, whatever wherever you are it's going to be based on the students and if students have special needs they might get a little bit more funding from the state but here's our reality about two-thirds of our total funding comes from county uh, and that's been true for a long time the state minimum even with this new model is not designed and doesn't fund us fully in fact there's even a piece of their formula that that gives less money to, to counties that evidence what they call a fiscal capacity. Uh, and I can talk about the models, everything's on acronym, CBER and TASER, C-B-E-R-T-A-C-R, there's two formulas that they address that. Sparrows. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and the essence of it is those communities that the state identifies as having a greater capacity to increase taxes get less state funding because the state sets a structure to try to force that. Uh, and we are at the bottom of that scale. Uh, uh, so, so a very rural county might get a higher per pupil fund from the state, not just might, but does get more from the state than we do. So by and large, our county government, our community commitment to schools is what helps us succeed. Okay. the. Uh Headline story on the front page of the Tennessean this morning is about the state legislative uh, leadership forming a committee to investigate the possibility of rejecting federal funding for, for, for schools. Uh, do you expect that to affect your budget or any, anything here directly in the county? If that decision is made at the state level, uh, it will affect somewhere usually year to year about two percent of our budget uh, our budget's a little over 500 million dollars annually about 86 percent of our total budget goes to people that two percent from the federal is almost exclusively special education funding all the federal requirements for special education so if the state does not fund if the state does not accept the federal funds Somebody's got to fill in that gap because we have that responsibility to serve students with disabilities, whether or not we get the federal money. Right. Sheila Cleveland, school board member from uh, what North 
southwest part of the county? That's about right. Okay. Uh, grade your superintendent this morning. Did he Does he get an A, B, C, D, or F? Oh, he definitely gets an A. <laughs> <laughs> did, I can't imagine anyone else running Williamson County Schools right now. Did uh, we cover everything? Yes, you did. In fact, you answered the answered or you asked the question that I wanted to answer about the $1.8 billion that might be rejected. So I'm glad you answered that. So we covered it. We covered it. Anybody else have any more questions here this morning? Uh, Matt, yeah, sure. you're a good yeah. one to talk oh, about no. the impact of schools on sure. it. Sure. Yeah, no, obviously. It's this, great. this is Matt Margin, the uh, president and CEO of the chamber, uh, affectionately known as Williamson Inc. Yeah, so I'm curious, take the funding out from the federal government do we still have to, does that change anything from in terms of compliance? Because I know that's one of the arguments is there's no strings attached. But from what I understand, there's still some compliance with it regardless of the money, is that right? Thank you for that question. Sure. There are some federal programs here and there that in essence say if you accept the money, you agree to do blank. And the state has entered into some of those programs in the past, and it includes things like uh, every school gets a single letter grade, things that you might see coming down the pike in just a, just a few months. For special education, it is not tied to funding. We have a responsibility to provide those services to students under that very complex federal model, regardless of whether we receive the funding. So there might be little bits and pieces here and there from year to year in a budget that are tied to performance that the state gets into that they might eliminate. But special education, which is by far our number one when I talk about that 2% of our budget, which is usually you know, somewhere 10 to $12 million a year, we've got to do it whether we get the money or not. Great, thanks. Tell us, uh, you, you talk to a lot of companies that are considering making Williamson County their home. And uh, from what I understand, schools uh, are a fair, uh, a pretty big part of that decision a lot of times. Sure. No, it's the biggest part of the decision. We hear this all the time from companies, from individuals. It really is about talent. It's There's a war for talent, but unemployment rates low here, low across the country. The most important thing for companies to access talent, the most important thing for that talent is to have great schools for their kids and their future workforce. So we know our economic foundation lies in the strength of our public school systems in Williamson County. Great. Thank you, Matt. All right, thanks. Uh, I, I want to speak just a little bit for Matt as you're tracking down somebody else. And Matt, I'm speaking for you because a couple of years ago you shared something along these lines and I may not quite get it right. Every community has something that draws businesses is if businesses are coming. I think you mentioned Savannah, Georgia has a port. Memphis has their airport. Williamson County School, uh, Williamson County has its schools. And that struck me and I'm never going to forget it. And we know that responsibility we have. Dr. Darrell Lampley. You are the, uh, the man in charge here at the Columbia State Campus in Franklin. And uh, tell us again, how many students uh, you have from Williamson County Schools enrolled in uh, dual enrollment now? So of the entirety of Williamson County, it's about 710. Out of Williamson County Schools, 612. So um, what, uh, what are the subjects those kids primarily study uh, while they're in high school? And how does that work as far as their high school and college credit? So, <clears throat> excuse me, the primary courses are English Comp 1 and 2. And you've got to remember that we're built on semesters and the county system is built on a year. So we have to plan for a Comp 1 in the fall and a Comp 2 in the spring. 
And then if they want to follow up, there's lit. Um, and it works very well because there are certain requirements that the high school have, and they can fulfill some of those high school requirements with a college-level class. Great. Okay. It, uh, again, that's a great program. Uh, wasn't very well known when my kids started to high school, and I uh, like to tell the story about uh, going to the Tennessee Cattlemen's Convention over in Murfreesboro one day and having to talk to a couple old professors there that were representing the University of Tennessee. And, uh, and that was before Charlie actually started the college, and I uh, asked the gentleman, I said, you give me one or two real important things we need to look at before we send our son to college. He said, get dual, as much dual enrollment while you're still in high school as you can. And that resonated with me because I hate to give English teachers a hard time, but I just did not like studying English. And the thought, and, and I got to college and guess what? I didn't like to study English and I didn't do very well. <laughs> so the, the, the fact that my kids could get college credit and high school credit um, at the same time and not have to do that their first year. College freshman year is hard enough anyway. But if you can go ahead and get into some of your major courses and, and things that you're really there uh, excited about, um, it, it just makes the whole experience uh, so much better. And, and we appreciate what y'all do here. Chuck, the uh, broadband, uh, obviously pretty important to kids that uh, uh, are studying at home, uh, doing their homework, that sort of thing. And your uh, MT Middle Tennessee Electric is doing some things to try to get broadband uh, expanded around the county. Any progress reports you want to give us on that? Well, um, obviously, um, with the broadband work that we're doing through United Communications, uh, we've been working with Rogers Anderson and, uh, of course, working with the school system and realize how important that is, uh, you know, for the county. Uh, we're making our way up 840. We're building backbone in the county so that we can serve the unserved. As most everyone in here knows, when COVID hit and everybody was doing things virtually, uh, it was really hard on the schools. And the county mayor, Rogers, he is uh, really uh, into it and investing in this program. So we're real thankful to be a part of that. Appreciate the effort there. Uh, again, that's so important, not only to students, but to businessmen that work from home and or women. And uh, so um, I think the, uh, the broadband expansion is really a good thing for our county. Uh, we're about out of time. Just want to thank the appropriate people that uh, all work together to make this happen every month. Uh, again, uh, the Columbia State crew, uh, Mary Beth in particular, makes us feel so welcome here and we appreciate their, their hospitality. Uh, our TV audience, again, uh, Creed Henderson and his crew show up early on the mornings uh, with their cameras and, and sound equipment and uh, just appreciate them making us look as good as they do. Uh, also, Tom Lawrence again and, and WKM. The uh, uh, People like Jason and, 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 and Robert uh, taking time out of their schedule to share this with us so that we can understand better how we're affected by all these uh, departments in the county. Um, 
just appreciate the time it takes. We've got, uh, I've got a list somewhere and now I'm, I've lost it. Uh, boy, I'm in trouble. But <laughs> we've got uh, several other people that uh, make this program happen. One of, uh, Coleman Bomar, if you would stand up. Uh, surprise, surprise. Um, somebody whispered in my ear this week, come on, Coleman. Uh, Coleman is the reporter from the Williamson Herald. And somebody whispered in my ear this week and said, Dave, you need to kind of give them a, a plug. And I went, duh, you know, why haven't I been doing that for years? Because Coleman does a good job of covering our, our show and helping get that information out to the, the county. The Williamson Herald is uh, such an important part of the community of, of Williamson County and, and the effort they make to make sure everybody knows what's going on and, and just pass our appreciation along to, to uh, Derby and, and Cassie for, uh, for all y'all do for us. Um, obviously, WAKM is, is another piece of that puzzle and Creed's uh, crew is, is another piece, but uh, we just appreciate uh, what y'all are doing. Uh, got a couple of financial partners that helped make this happen, Vanderbilt University and Lynn Maddox, uh, AT&T and um, Dennis uh, Wagner. Uh, we appreciate their help as well. And then the, the, the coffee uh, partner we have, uh, Lion Leadership Group, uh, our local McDonald's franchisees. Uh, in most cases, we, uh, we appreciate your help. And uh, we, uh, there's one other one. Chamber staff, Matt, <laughs> your uh, your crew does an amazing job. Kel McDowell is the quarterback on this effort, and uh, he does a great job coordinating uh, our speakers and, uh, and and facilities. So we appreciate y'all being here. Uh, Lena Bell, from board member from uh, FSSD, appreciate you coming, and look forward to having y'all back next next month. We're working on a, another really good program for uh, the end of October. Look forward to having you back. Take care. <clears throat>